Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Rain City Bunker. Um, I am your host, Andy Brown, and I'm here with Greg. Hello, everybody. And it's been a long time. We've been yes, it has. We, we've been haven't done one since when was the last one? April twenty fifth is the date on the website. So sometime in April. Um, so uh, we got a good one for you. Uh, a little bit later, you're going to hear our interview with Drew Barth, who's a local Seattle area stand up comedian. And uh, he's got some interesting things to talk about. Uh, but we'll, we'll just going to do a little bit of uh, catch-up um, to let you know what's been going on with us. Uh, as far as I'm going, or I've been doing, um, not much, just working, working my job. Um, I am uh, shot a couple scenes for a little short film that I'm working on with Greg. Greg's actually yes. uh, one of the characters in it. Um, I like to keep it in the family. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been dating this lovely lady, Jackie, and everything's going great with that. She's awesome. And uh, let's see. I don't know. Not much else. Just kind of getting getting through the year. We've had a little, a little yeah. bit of a rough. Well, you've been busy, but I think we haven't done the podcast because I've been insanely busy. Yeah, I'm going to let Greg kind of he, – he's, he's had some stuff going on. So yeah. I'm going to well, let him um, Let's see. My uh, aunt passed away in May. And I had to fly out for her funeral and her service and working on her state. I'm one of the co-executors. There's two of us. And that's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. So if someone asks you to be a co-executor, think about it carefully. But it's been, it's been very interesting. And uh, I had to fly out to the Chicago area where her house is a few times and get, take care of family business. And it's still going. The state should close here shortly, which will be very nice to have that done. And I've been busy. My job is a very uh, challenging, busy job, working hard on that. And I'm not sure if I mentioned this in uh, Podcast 10, but I came up with a website idea in April, early April. Oh, so it does go back to... Yeah, I'm not sure if I mentioned it. Maybe not. And I've been working on it ever since. I uh, tried to get a friend to help me, and he declined. So I wrote the website myself. We're almost done, almost ready to go to beta. And I'm very excited about that. My first kind of original idea, that kind of thing. So busy. And then <laughs> uh, we'll go through this part really briefly. I met a nice lady in June. We dated. We got engaged. And then we got unengaged. And that's all I'll say about that Whirlwind, right <laughs> romance, unromance. Yeah, yes. so, but it's a further piece of evidence that neither Andy nor I are gay. <laughs> <laughs> but she was a lo- lovely lady. I was ready to get hitched, and it just didn't work out. So, But that kept us very – well, me very busy. And then – so we just haven't gotten around to a podcast yet. But Andy met Drew through Jackie, <laughs> and uh, we couldn't turn down the opportunity to interview someone – like Drew, stand-up comedian, and who could be going somewhere. I mean, it's not totally in stone, nothing is, but he's a great guy. It was a great interview, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. I I think that's probably the most fun Andy and I have had with the podcast. So enjoy our interview with Drew Barth. We're here with our first guest that we've actually had live in the bunker. We maybe had a few dead people in the bunker, but... A few dogs. A few dogs. Um... And it's our friend, Drew Barth. Uh, and say hello, Drew. Hi, how's it going? And, um, well, that was lame. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, no yeah, and, big end. <laughs> and the reason Drew is here is this is a, a, something I've always kind of wanted to do. Um, 
Drew does stand-up comedy, and Drew's been doing it for about eight years now. Is that right? Uh, from the actual very first time that I ever performed, it's now ten years. Ten years. Ten years. Um, and I, I, there, there's a lot of aspects that I, of uh, uh, stand-up comedy uh, that I find really fascinating. So I've always wanted to interview somebody who does that, and now we have an opportunity. And um, so Drew's going to tell us a little bit about, uh, uh, you, you know, the, the craft. The art, <laughs> such as it is, how, how very act inside the actor's studio. <laughs> Speak about your craft, the craft of comedy, and um, and just as a teaser, as in good uh, uh, podcast style, um, we, he's also got some exciting news that we're gonna uh, uh, reveal kind of at the end. So you um, got to listen to the whole podcast <laughs> to get to the exciting news, Mom. Yeah, I'm not gonna leak anything out. <laughs> so, um, how old are you, Drew? Twenty eight. Twenty eight. Uh, <laughs> so did, did you do a stand-up routine in high school? I did, yeah. I was, uh, I was in a sketch comedy group in, uh, in high school, and my drama teacher slash kind of advisor, the guy who was pretty much running the sketch comedy group, he said that the sketches I was writing were more like stand-up and less like sketch. And so <laughs> you were writing? Yeah, yeah. Um, everybody wow, was, everybody cool. was writing these little sketches, and mm-hmm. he was going over them, and he was like, you know, you, it sounds more like stand-up. Have you ever thought about trying it? And I was like, well... No, because why, why would I want to get up in front of all my friends in high school? <laughs> yeah, make, it's awkward enough just going. Yeah, to high I really school. want my self esteem to bottom out as quickly <laughs> as possible because uh, people don't judge enough. So this, this was not this was not something that you had like a burning desire to no. do. For, okay, no, this was it was something that my like my my dad really loved stand up. I remember I, I think I got to like the age of fourteen or something or sixteen. And my dad was like, all right, now you're old enough, I can show you Richard Pryor. Uh, <laughs> so That's was, a big moment for, for a lot of kids. It was really good. Yeah, that, it was really good. I, didn't, I still didn't get you know, a lot of the jokes, and, but uh, Carlin and Richard Pryor and guys like those I was always really into. And then, uh, yeah, uh, he said, why don't you try writing five minutes of stand-up for – because the sketch comedy performed in between acts for the talent show. So I was like, why don't you try writing five minutes for Your the dad suggested show? you write – no, oh, this, no, this, this is, is my the drama teacher. teacher. Okay, okay. And so uh, I went with my brother, and we came up with five minutes, and I went and performed it. It didn't go incredibly well, but it wasn't bad enough where I was like, oh, I'll never It do didn't that shock again. you into keeping you away for. No, <laughs> I just remember getting off stage, and my first thought was, like, God, I need to do that again. It was, it's, it's addictive. It really is. Ah, uh, yeah, that's, that's one of the things I want to get to. So, now, just interestingly, you said your brother. Yeah. Yeah, so does he do any stand up? No, he doesn't. He's a, he's a, really, he's a really sharp. Really witty guy, though. Yeah. Anyway, you know, we're six and a half years apart, so but we always hung out together. And, older? Uh, yeah, six yeah. and a half years older. Yeah. And uh, it would be awesome if he was six and a half years younger. If he was twelve, and he was <laughs> I guess that'd be kind of weird. How about dinosaurs? You, you, oh, all right, you should you should do a joke about boogers. <laughs> so so uh, now I'm really curious. What what does he do? Uh, he he lives in Chicago and he works for an advertising agency. Oh, okay. Right? okay. But, uh, he's a yeah. businessman or a creative yeah. person? Oh, he's a business guy. Businessman. Yeah, but he uh, but very. I think he kind of likes to live vicariously through the stuff that I do. Now I was going to ask you if your dad introduced you to. Richard Pryor. So your dad must have been kind of proud when you started being yeah. attracted to uh, stand up. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It was something that uh, you know, anytime anybody's kid first goes into doing something where they're probably not going to be super funny in the beginning, it's kind of it's kind of hard to get really behind it because you're like, oh, good for you. That's, <laughs> probably needs work. But, uh, There's going to be that kind of that kind of moment. Uh, I think that any uh, parent of somebody who does entertainment. If you got them to be really honest, mm-hmm. that there's probably that moment where they go, 
Oh, God. I, I hope he loses interest in this. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I remember, well, I was telling my dad when I was taking, first started taking theater courses, I was like, he was like, you know what, I think it's a great thing that you want to be, you want to take drama courses. I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, because when you're older and you're standing up in front of a boardroom, you're going to want to have that sort of experience. I was like, yeah, what if I just want to do this? So, <laughs> so that took a little while to get used to. Yeah. But. Well, it, it's kind of interesting that you mentioned about parents and kids going into entertainment because my nephew just kind of out of the blue when he graduated from uh, high school flew to LA and he's taking acting classes down there and I don't think that was kind of in his folks plan (laughs) but they they, they seem to be kind of accepting it and you know he's going I think he went back down so I don't know where it is exactly right now but Mm -hmm. you know they, they were Kind of supported it, but sure. they were a little skeptical. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It <laughs> Greg, takes, I, yeah, I thought you were going to say – I was afraid you were going to say you wanted to be a mime. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I hear mimes That's are going to be big craft. again. Yeah. <laughs> there might be a, a resurgent of mime uh, artistry. Yeah, coming. mime's coming back. Yeah, mime's coming back. <laughs> mime is going to be hot in, like, 2012. <laughs> it's going to be the apocalypse and mimes. That's, that's why I've started mimesonline.com. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, – I had a friend tell me that, you know, I have this friend who um, follows a lot of uh, uh, comedians and particularly, I I forget what the name of the website is, but there's kind of a a website that just comedians go to or talk about. Yeah, there are a couple. Yeah, there's one. It's called the Comics Comic, and that's pretty good. Uh, I don't think that's one, but... Shecky Magazine? Shecky Magazine. Shecky Magazine is is pretty much for all comedians. Yeah. uh, there are a few different ones, but yeah, it's, there's a cool kind of subculture. But one of the around. things he mentioned is that he noticed that a lot of them talk about um, their first experiences with comedy is that they do really well. Yeah, like their first time out, they do really well, mm-hmm. and they're like, and they, and they get, like you said, addicted yeah. to it. Well, when people are clapping and laughing at you, yeah. oh or, yeah, not at yeah. you, hopefully, but at <laughs> oh, your no. jokes. No, so right? totally. The first yeah. show, the first like actual show I had at a club was at Giggles in the U District, and I was going to the University of Washington at the time, and I was in a fraternity, and so I finally decided to go down there after writing for about a year or so and finally working up the nerve, and I brought like 20 of my friends with me, yeah. and that was the perfect idea, because then I was hilarious, and yeah. everybody laughed, and I was like, oh, this is great, then the next time they couldn't make it, and like, the, the last drop real off world. noticeably. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, what he, that's what he said, is a lot of them tell the story of their first experience with it is it's just great and mm-hmm. people laugh and they, and they get addicted to it mm-hmm. and they spend a long time like working their way back to that that feeling again oh, yeah. so what's what's your experience with yeah that? i would say it was a lot like that because yeah. that yeah that first one is just amazing and then the yeah. rest of the time it's it, you really want to recapture it again and you yeah. go so you're chasing time. the dragon oh yeah absolutely. <laughs> it's well, it's a real it's a very very opium type thing yeah, it's, uh, it's usually yeah, well, a den with yeah. a whole bunch of chinese railroad workers yeah. so, well yeah. andy you're aware of my special skill you know i, I russian oh. dance at parties and weddings really and i get a lot of adulation but i can only do it for about 15 seconds nowadays but <laughs> i used to be able to do it for like third yeah oh yeah people th- they it's like Stupid people tricks and people. <laughs> it's amazing the demand there is for that uh, funky skill. You know, but it's fun. It's great. It's great to Russia, be center of attention for like twenty seconds. <laughs> in Russia, it's actually the equivalent of doing the worm. <laughs> Greg, it just occurred to me that we should just have an animated GIF of you doing Russian dances on our website. That's hey, you know, uh, yeah, on Facebook. Have you seen that video of me on Facebook? I, I did. I did. Oh, see yeah. That. Yeah. yeah, I will show you, Drew. No, later. I'm checking it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I'm wearing a big. Uh, Blonde wig with the Norwegian horns. <laughs> Naturally, so of it adds a little flair to the performance. Yeah, of course, you would be. <laughs> uh, so, um, 
So let's 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 dive in a little bit since we're we're already talking about some of the psychology of it, mm-hmm. which is one of the things that really fascinates me. Um, maybe you know, I, I've always kind of um, been interested in the uh, some of the terminology that's mm-hmm. used in comedy. Sure, like when you do really well, you kill. Yeah. And that's old. I mean, I, I, comedians have been saying that for a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know anything about the origins of that? It's okay if you don't. I'm uh, just kind of curious. God, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's some of the stuff, there's, it is interesting. There's definitely, like, some nomenclature that kind of goes with it. And right. A little bit of jargon you kind of pick up along the way. Uh, but killing is, I, I have to assume, you just, you were, they were laughing so hard they literally died. <laughs> which, that makes sense. Which happened <laughs> once in Oslo, Norway in 1912. <laughs> that's where that came from. Hargis Fjeldensen, which is was amazing. And, and they almost banned stand-up comedy after they, that. Absolutely. There was a big controversy. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was all mimes from then. Yeah, exactly. Um, that shut the fjords down. So, and, and so, and then the, and then the other, uh, and on the, the other side of it is you bomb when you do yeah. badly. Yeah. I just find it really interesting that it's these, these terms of kind of violence. Martial. Oh, yeah. Now, do you feel, I don't want to get you in trouble, but do you feel, do you feel an adversarial relationship with the audience? It's, you know, it's, I think the second you walk on stage, you're already sort of, you've, you've got about 30 seconds to right. really decide. You can tell in 30 seconds whether it's going to go well or not. Right. And I've gone into shows with a horrible feeling. It's like, this is, there's no way in hell that this is going to work out. And then it goes, it's great. And then there's sometimes we're like, oh, it's going to be a blast. I'm so excited about it. I'm looking forward to it all day. Get up there, dead. Just died. Ugh. Dying on stage is another one. Also, I think my personal favorite term is, uh, I'm not sure if this is kosher, but uh, shitting the bed. Uh, <laughs> we're rated really, R, so yeah, that, oh, okay, that, that applies. Yeah. That's, that's we a, won't beep you. It's <laughs> a really good one. Just, it's like, well, how, was, how was your set? Ah, just shit the bed. <laughs> just it really just kind of captures that sort of feeling where you're just up there and you're like... This cannot go faster. What is is there any is there anything? Do you have any uh, uh, techniques that you've developed for when you say like you, you you can tell like oh no this isn't this, this is going terribly. Yeah. Do you have anything that you you found has been able to pull you out of that? Uh, once you kind of go into that that spiral dive, that <laughs> death roll, it's not, it's pretty hard to come back from. Although it gets to a certain point where you really just abandon whatever set material you were going to do that night. And you're like, all right, I'm just going to talk to the audience because obviously that's what they want to. Right. hear about and right. stuff like that yeah. that help that comes in handy a lot especially when you do like corporate shows and things like that and you try and do your own stuff and people aren't paying attention they're like all right so uh what's your name what do you do and then because the funniest thing is when you do corporate shows people are you always want to be incredibly squeaky clean that's what they always tell you but the second you get there people are like hey talk about ted his wife just left him and it's just like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> people are vicious oh they're terrible they just it's like don't talk about me but that guy over there that's just, that's a toupee so. <laughs> you know although i i saw uh drew carey in an interview mm-hmm. and he talked about doing corporate gigs yeah and he said there was this one that he did um and like he said exactly what what you said is that he tended to do very g to pg stuff right and this one corporate gig that he did, um, right before he went on, the guy who brought whoever was responsible for bringing him in mm-hmm. um, wasn't the CEO, but said, uh, you, "Go blue, just, just go really go, go crazy." <laughs> and so he did, and they were they were pissed off, and, <laughs> oh. and the CEO guy just. Uh, the CEO of the company just kind of reamed him out for, oh, for doing the, the blue material. Uh, now, that brings me... We watched a little bit of your... Uh, unfortunately, we've never been able to see you live. Which, oh, yeah. yeah well, which, I uh, tried. 
Remember? Yeah, that's right. I showed up in July. That's and right. And you were on the schedule at X time, but the, you had been oh, gone yeah, up early. Oh, yeah, down at the, uh, the Sale Bite Center, Bite of Seattle. Yeah. 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 Bite of Seattle, or was it Bumper Shoot? Bite of Seattle. Bite it was during I, summer. Bite of Seattle, yeah, because I haven't done Bumper Shoot for a couple of years. So. Um, uh, maybe it was a different Drew Barth. <laughs> Could have been Drew Bars. Or Bartha. Bartha. <laughs> that big giant. Yeah, Bartha the, Drew. Yeah, the, yeah, the big Norwegian lady. <laughs> um, so I lost my train of thought. Oh, uh, uh, so uh, we watched a little bit of your stuff on online. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it, how representative it was of uh, of what you normally do, but it, it seemed relatively. I'd say it was about PG if I gave it a yeah. movie rating. Is yeah, that, is that mean, about where you fall? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I the the club that I started at Giggles in the U District, which is now Jiggles, Jiggles. the Gentleman's Club. Woohoo! Moving on up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to save money on the sign. <laughs> they that was a that was a very clean club. Yeah. Uh, the the owner mm. was a former was a kind of a Mormon, and yeah. he said uh, he's like, don't get really dirty and no f bombs. And that really, was, yeah. So kind of. Because I lived so close, and that's where I was going all the time, I just started writing that way. Oh, so you're not particularly adverse to that? It's just that that's how you, you kind of were writing. Yeah, and I, to be honest, yeah, because I, I love – there's some dirty comics I absolutely love. Um, well, but, you were primed on Richard Pryor. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. He, he wasn't really clean, right? Yeah, no, 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 not at all. Carlin gets dirty. You know, Carlin gets plenty dirty, and uh, I love David Tell and guys like those. But, yeah. you know, it was just something that kind of for the look that I had and the style that I was doing, it was just easier for me to write – observational clean stuff yeah. and after a while it i realized it was a good idea just because i got yeah. more work that way yeah. there's a happy medium i think because sometimes a little bit of blue stuff is sure. kind of spices yeah. it up but sometimes some of those comedians that are just a tirade of oh, uh, yeah. uh expletives yeah that's not really funny after a while to me yeah, yeah it kind of gets in I mean, one of the things they say is like if you remove the if you remove the swear words from your act is it still funny and so, I mean, I, I, I will add them in just because that's closer to how I actually talk. But if right. I remove it, then the joke still stands. Which yeah. Yeah, that's what I noticed from watching it, your so. stuff. Uh, uh, who are your favorite? <laughs> this is going to sound like the... Uh, <laughs> Larry King? <laughs> no, they... Well, who are your favorite? <laughs> I'm sorry, favorite people. Uh, now, who, who are your favorite contemporary uh, comics? Uh, I, lo- I really... I love Patton Oswalt. Uh, my, that's my favorite. He's, he's brilliant. Uh, Patton Oswalt, I'm a big fan of. Louis C.K., Brian Regan, uh, Jim Gaffigan. Uh, let's see, it's uh, Maria Bamford. I, I adore. Her. I think she's. I think she might be my. I don't, I'm not familiar with her. She's great. She's from. Uh, she's from Minnesota, and she's very tiny, kind of a little petite sort yeah. of thing, and but just really kind of bizarre jokes. She's yeah. fantastic. Uh, kind of like Fargo. Yeah, she's. Oh, <laughs> she's from Duluth, Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, very funny. Uh, yeah. Is there any? Is there anybody out there that you think should be uh, that be paid? You know, have more attention. There's a guy I really like named Jeff Caldwell. Uh-huh. Uh, that's really funny. He's very kind of low energy delivery, but very kind of snarky. Where he would say, uh, "It's like my my wife and I. We got a dog. He's uh, part pit bull, part golden retriever." Which means he'd run through the water to bite you. It's <laughs> <laughs> very low energy, really clever stuff. I really like him a lot. I'm not sure why he's not more famous. Oh, and we forgot to mention Gallagher. Naturally. <laughs> yeah. I actually almost ended up working with a guy who was uh, representing Gallagher. Ah, uh, managing Gallagher. Yeah, interesting. And getting him to come back and oh, do this huge tour called the Laying Down the Hammer. Now, what about any local communities? We mentioned that uh, we have a kind of a mutual acquaintance. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's some locals that you like? There are, absolutely, there are tons. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, Seattle is very 
gifted as far as a comedy town goes, and they're and I like the comics. They're they're not only funny, but they're really nice guys. Uh, Kermit is fantastic. There's actually a whole pack of comedian of kind of the the earlier generation comedians that are excellent. Kermit Apio is another guy. Uh, Brad Upton, um, Joe Vespasiani, uh, Dwayne Goad, Vince Valenzuela. There's it's it's a kind of a, a gaggle right in there. And then there were young guys that I grew up with and were. Doing shows with Andrew Slater, Brian Moot, um, Justin Ruppel. Jeff Dye was a guy from Kent that got on Last Comic Standing mm-hmm. and just exploded overnight. So Yeah, I, I think uh, I should get out and do the comedy. I enjoy, it's so much fun. I mean, it's usually fairly reasonably priced. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I just Kermit was hilarious. I, I loved yeah, Kermit. And, and it was funny. Part of Kermit's routine was about being a comic, right? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and. You know, he he made fun that at his employee party, it's just him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he won Employee of the Year two of the last three years. Exactly. But to me, it cracks me up because, you know, when I see a comedian on TV, you know, usually they're big. You know, you don't think of them working. But mm. I suppose oh, when you're starting, work. you're working fairly often. Yeah. Yeah. It's you're, a, it's you're a, traveling around and it's you're... It's a lot of miles on your car. It's sometimes some really shitty hell gigs nowhere. <laughs> going up in a bar uh, where they have to turn off the Mariners game for you to go up <laughs> Jesus, really? <laughs> yeah, uh, Kermit mentioned going to Montana and some interesting experiences there. Now, yeah. that leads into another question I have. That, um, that uh, unlike, unlike going to see a band, mm-hmm. I never thought of this before. You know, what are other activities that people like actually pay money to go to a club? And mm-hmm. it, It's always something that they're familiar with it's it's like oh i know that band or um you know i, I want to see those that uh, burlesque dance right, routine or something right, right comedy is one of the only things that people go ah, let's go see let's go to the comedy club. <laughs> hopefully there'll be a guy on stage and it's funny and and, <laughs> and and i've heard that that can be really problematic uh like a lot of comedians have routines about the south yeah and i would imagine places in montana probably pretty similar to the south and it's because these people just they're go, well, hey, let's go out, get some drinks, and go to the comedy club. Yeah, <clears throat> and so they're not familiar with the comedian, which may not mesh with what they think is funny <laughs> or appropriate. Absolutely. <laughs> have yeah. you have you had that happen? Yeah, it'll be it'll be just because I work you know cleaner, then I'll I'll be going up during a show, and then they're like. People will be confused. It's like this guy. This guy isn't swearing. He's not talking about sex a whole bunch. Yeah. And just be really confused yeah. and not really <laughs> sure what to do. It's like, I, we don't get it. I don't. <laughs> not what we thought comedy was. And it's just somebody. I think it was Pat also was talking about how he, he thinks it's interesting how sometimes people will just show up at a comedy club and it's like comedy is something that's done to them. Yeah, it's like magic or something. Yeah. You just sit there and you just kind of somebody goes up and they just do something. But it to be a, a really enjoyable audience there's a there's a matter of participate participation and just kind of getting into it that sometimes is gone and yeah. you really notice what it's missing yeah have you ever had just a, just a <clears throat> not necessarily hostile audience but just like a really quiet kind of you just don't get a read off of it? yeah, yeah. that's got to be even almost worse than some of the dry audience. towns in utah might be like that, huh? <laughs> I, yeah i've done comedy down in utah i've done uh shows in salt lake like a dry Austin. bar it's really or weird. Dry club. Yeah. yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's and, and you figure out a little bit pretty quickly what really needs to happen for them to start laughing. Yeah. <laughs> but I've done no, I've done hostile shows though. Yeah, definitely. yeah, where it's scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the first gigs I ever did was um, it was a it was an open mic. I'd been doing comedy for about six or eight months or so, 
and I brought this girl with me that I thought was really cute. And so I was like, hey, I'll take her down to the comedy club, and I'll oh, go no. up and I'll perform. It'll be fantastic. Why Impress not? her. There was, there was oh, your, yeah. There was your first mistake. Oh, I know. I mean, seriously, it was such a recipe for disaster. There's no way it could have possibly turned out well. I was like, no, I'll be really, I'll be really funny. That's like if you're a boxer. <laughs> Come on down to the fight. I'm going to beat the shit out of this guy. And, you and then you just the get out you. I'm only middleweight, but I'm ready to take on this heavyweight guy. It'll be more impressive if I fight a guy outside my weight. So I brought her down, and uh, I signed up on the list. And there were probably like 14, 15 comics going up that night. I signed up for like, I was up like fifth or so. And I kept getting bumped just because it's a lot of, you know, who you know and seniority, how long you've been there. So this, uh, I went, kept going up to the MC. I'm like, Are you, am I going to go up soon? Like I brought somebody with me. And they're like, oh, yeah, you'll go up after this next guy. So I, the next guy goes up on stage, really funny guy named Ty Barnett, who ended up being on Last Comic Standing. He's a little more famous now. Um, but I was noticing, like, right as he got up on stage, I was like, that's kind of a weird audience. There were, like, ten dudes sitting on, uh, sitting in front of a long table that all had a bunch of empty beer bottles and shot glasses. And then <laughs> there was, like, another group of, like, ten girls, like, in a little pack right next to him that all looked kind of very Jersey Shore-ish or uh, uh. something. So he gets – this guy Ty gets up on stage, and he's like, so what's up with you guys up front? And uh, they're like, uh, we're in a gang. And <laughs> <laughs> Ty's like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, we're in a gang. And so then, uh, so I'll make no jokes about you guys tonight. <laughs> no, well, here's the thing. So, so, so Ty is black. These guys were not, uh, but they, you know, definitely dropped a couple of yeah, we're in a gang and bomb. Uh, and, uh, oh. and so they, he was like, hmm. yeah, interesting. Mm. So his next thing he goes, he's like, so you guys realize you're not in a real gang, right? And they're like, what? And he's like, no, you live in Seattle. I mean, that's not in, you know, not real gangs in Seattle. He's like, if you're from L.A. and your backdrop is the Watts Towers, that's impressive. If you're from New York and you've got the Brooklyn Bridge in the background, like, people could take that seriously. You live in Seattle. Your backdrop is Mount Rainier with birds. <laughs> you're not a real gang. I'll bet you guys have never even sold drugs. I'll bet you've never actually even killed anyone. And so they get this huge argument. Oh, man. Finally, he just like, he's like, you're not a real gang. You're not thugging. And he drops the mic and walks off stage. And so then the MC goes up. He's like, all right, please welcome our next comedian, Drew Barth. <laughs> <laughs> so I just walk up on stage. It is just still just crickets. I'm just like, hey, all right. It's a little, uh, little tense in here. <laughs> so I watched into doing a couple of my jokes. I got no laughs, period, for three minutes. Uh, and then finally I got the light in the back. I was like, well, I guess that's my time. <laughs> and the girl walks out. She's like, oh, that's good. You're funny. And I was like, uh, no, I didn't think that. So good. I won't be seeing you again. <laughs> Never dated her. Never worked out. Now, kind of what we've been talking about a little bit is uh, you kind of have to adjust to the audience. Mm -hmm. So I wonder how, how often does that happen? I mean, I'm sure you kind of have a set routine. Mm -hmm. And How set is your routine and how often do you deviate from kind of what you expect to do? It's pretty set. I try, I try and beforehand write out all the bits I'm going to do and then I try and make really thoughtful segues so it seems like it flows well like it is like kind of a stream of consciousness sort of thing how, um, how much you <laughs> once again don't, don't want to get you in trouble here but no. what percentage of your uh, act would you say is improvisation uh, or riffing off maybe one of your prepared things uh, you know I'd say probably 10 or 15 percent 10 or 15 percent um, but I mean for the most part it, it is pretty scripted and that's yeah. and that varies from community to community I know some guys that never deviate from a single word right oh wow but maybe that's just Part, partially it's because it's so well written to begin with and yeah. those words are incredibly important especially yeah. when you're dealing with a short time frame so yeah. um, but I change it up a little bit and I'll, and I'll start out doing kind of beheading one direction if it feels like it's not working then I know another way to take it so oh cool yeah um 
this is this is kind of unfair because I didn't prepare you for this, but um, if if you can't if you, if you can't think of anything, that's cool too. No, that's cool. But could you give us like one, <clears throat> maybe like one joke that you would do in your stand up and and maybe describe how you came up with the joke? <laughs> oh, sure. So you I, wanted... I, I know, I'm, and I know. I'm sorry. It's, it's no, like no, no. putting you kind of on the spot. <laughs> Andy, the scientist, said Andy. Be funny. <laughs> uh, Andy's trying to make it all scientific and parsed. And, uh... well, I, you know, I was gonna, I was gonna give a warning right up front in this, this interview that if, if this, if there's any of this that's not funny, it's all my fault. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take some of that blame because I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to, I because I really wanted to pick this apart and. I'm that may be the worst possible no, thing you can do. No, no, it's it's no, it's interesting. I, I personally, I think that joke structure and things like that yeah. are really fascinating. Yeah. I feel like there is even like a mathematical way to put together a joke that you know certain sounds and letters and stuff are going to work better. Right. So, um, let's see a joke that I do on station. I guess uh, I I lived with uh, with a bunch of guys in a house that was really dirty. And we had a massive fruit fly problem in our kitchen. And so it kind of got down to the point where we ended up buying the little sticky no-fly strips and putting them up there. And, and they would just get swarmed and things like that. So I wrote a whole bit about that. About that's that's really a classy purchase when you buy <laughs> the no-fly strips. You go, Do you guys sell no-fly strips? It's like, yeah, you're going to want to go over to aisle 7. And you want to head back until you hit the 1970s. <laughs> it's going to be on the right next to the stickball bats and the lava lamps. Um, but just talking about how, like, it's when you when you see, you know, a, a whole fly strip. Just By the way, Greg just committed like one of the worst faux pas, right? Like, oh, just, I ridiculous. just saw a moment of recognition <laughs> in Drew's eyes. Like, he's sitting there telling, building up on this joke, and Greg's phone goes off. And I saw. <laughs> hey, him you forgot over. the warning, Drew. I, I saw him look over and go. Oh, <laughs> but you know, like, like the professional he is, he just kept going. So yeah, I, I apologize. Oh, I, no, I, I, did, I right. didn't get the warning, but. Uh, it reminds me, gosh, when they, my, my first cell phone around 97 or uh-huh, so, uh-huh. I went to a comedy. I think it was Bumbershoot. <laughs> and guess what happened? Oh, and no, guess what got worked into the routine? Oh, sure. Yeah, I so. Actually, I seem like I would have learned. Geez, no, no. I've seen guys answer people's cell phones. I think, David, I think I saw David Cross, mm-hmm. who is one of my favorites, too. Mm-hmm. Um do that. I think somebody's cell phone went yeah. off, and he's like, "Hey, here, come on, give it yeah. to me." I think it was him. It was either <laughs> oh, him yeah. or, it was either him or Pat Oswalt. I saw, yeah, I saw Pat Oswalt do that. At yeah. the, uh, done it. Uh, and in my off. case, it was a buddy of mine who is a big ham and loves attention. So the comedian just went with. I think he went <sighs> for, with it for a couple minutes oh, up on man. stage. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's a long few minutes. <laughs> well, the, the other guy on the other side. Loved it so good. Yeah, he's a ham, and he'll talk to anyone. So I was the one who was a little embarrassed. That uh, so we got to ask about uh, when we're talking about like well, actually that that works into the routine, and you can make it funny. But um, I also saw. I wish I could remember exactly what he did, but I do remember Patton Oswalt just taking down a heckler. Yeah, like so beautifully. Like what show was this? What's that? What show was this? It was Was at the show box. No, this was like uh, we're talking like maybe like '97 at, oh. at like bumper shoot or oh, something wow. like that. Yeah. Oh wow, that's so wild. And uh, that was one of my first expo- exposures to him. I'm like, this guy is funny. Oh, like yeah. one of the first things he did, he came out on stage. And I'm I'm gonna do his jokes. So it's not, <laughs> I won't do it justice. But he he comes out, you know, and after the introduction, and he's like. I know, I know. I look like a little lesbian. <laughs> but yeah, and, and I don't remember the exchange, but I remember him just 
guy stood no chance. Yeah. The guy tried to come back at him, and it was a smack. So I would imagine that's something that you have to um, really perfect, right? Or at least be prepared for. Or really, right? yeah. Have some sort of plan. Oh, what? Uh, how to deal with hecklers? Yeah. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big problem because everybody really wants to, to make it all about them and wants yeah. to be the star of the show. Yeah. Wants to impress somebody and things like that. Yeah. And there's... People have dozens of ways of how to deal with hecklers. Some people have, you know, prepared lines and things like that. The best way I've found to shut down a heckler, though, is that don't even make it – don't even try and turn it into a joke. Right. Um, because sometimes that will totally backfire and then it, he'll just keep going. And yeah. sometimes his little one-liners might be funnier than yours. Yeah. And now he's totally emasculated you on stage. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's like, well, maybe this guy should be up on stage then. So, But the, the best way to shut a heckler down is just to be, you know – how many people would like the show to keep going? And then you turn the whole audience against him. And right. Right this guy is slowing everything down. Right. I think Trey's one of the best ways. Like yeah. you're in the way, yeah. get out of the way. So, so you and maintain your alpha dog absolutely position. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I don't. I don't want to get too too off on too off topic. But we talked about this before. Um, Louis C.K., who you mentioned as one of your uh, one of your favorite mm-hmm. comics, he has a show that's I think it's just brilliant. Oh, um, Louis. Um, FX, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, just little half-hour shows. He writes them, directs them. I think he even edits them. Yeah, he um, does it all on a little MacBook. Oh my god, he does That's it awesome. on a thirteen-inch MacBook. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and uh, he had one where it, it, it's he just plays himself basically, and uh, where this woman uh, is talking on her cell phone during his ad. Oh yeah, that. yeah, right at the beginning, and, and it turns. It, it, it turns. I mean, I will be getting back to you because oh, no, 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 I, I thought it was really you know. And so at first he he starts kind of you know going uh, at her. They, they, they get into kind of this little combative. Uh, I saw that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know what you're they, talking. They about start now. getting into this combative uh, thing, and then and she won't stop. So then he starts getting more. Oh, it gets and more. really dark. Yeah, it gets, yeah, it gets really, really dark, dark and really mean really fast. But what? Yeah. yeah. But what I thought I thought was really fascinating is uh, they they then go the show goes to the outside of the comedy club where he's talking to his comic friends who are all actual comedians mm-hmm. I recognize all of them mm-hmm. and he says you know he says something like my God did you guys did you guys did, you know did you have to deal with her mm-hmm. she's awful and they were all you know they were all talking about her and then she comes up to him and he gives her kind of a rant mm-hmm. and I thought and it's that's what's so brilliant about the show mm-hmm. is it's got these really great dramatic twists to it. Oh, and, yeah. and one of the things he says to her is he's like, look, all these guys here, they they have their shitty week and they live for the 15 minutes or however long it is that they're up on stage. <laughs> Maybe not 15 minutes, but however long they come. You know, that's that's what they're they're living for. And you ruined it. Mm-hmm. You ruined it. You took it away. From you them. took it away. Does that – do you ever have that kind of sentiment? I, yeah. I just thought it was so powerful, that that particular show. No, it's show. true. Yeah, seriously. Especially because – I mean, in New York, you can – you can hop around. You can do multiple shows in a night. In right. Seattle, if you're doing a show, it's probably going to be your only show of the night. Yeah. And when it becomes so addictive and you just want to do it as much as possible or maybe you only get to go up once a week and somebody talks through it, you're ruining it. You're, you're ruining that person's opportunity that they so look forward to telling a new joke or working something out or just right. getting their therapy in, which it is for some people. Right. So um, when uh, – is it more likely you just get someone kind of ignoring the show, talking among themselves, yeah. rather than actual people kind of confronting the comedian? Yeah, right? yeah. It's usually it's some people are just like this. 
this isn't funny. This is what this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Sorry, I'm using drunk girl voice. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just not funny. They just start talking really loudly with somebody else, and that's yeah. So it gets to a point is. where it's interfering with the show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I was just thinking about the different kind of comedians and routines and sort of things. Uh, about four years ago, I started getting into silent movies. Hmm. And uh, I, you know, Charlie Chaplin yeah. and uh, Buster Doug, Buster, Buster Keaton. Keaton. Buster Keaton. And uh, Buster Douglas was the yeah he was a fighter he was right? a fighter he did silent movies they weren't very that, that's a common mistake <laughs> I make like, yeah he just got knocked out of the ring like man I just want to bring it back to something pure and simple <laughs> but but anyway you know watching the the Charlie Chaplin I kind of appreciate it just for the era you yeah. know the the time but Charlie Chaplin's and I think Andy you've noticed this Charlie Chaplin's comedy is kind of outward kind of almost uh, kind of almost well a lot of violent type slapstick yeah you know and but he's always kind of like the little hero the mm-hmm. smirking hero mm-hmm. and i, I kind of enjoy that but i really love buster keaton because mm-hmm. he he seems to have a less aggressive form of humor i mean we're talking ancient comedy yeah. here but mm-hmm. just he had a more to me just more uh you know less, what? less aggressive sort of you humor. know what so the thing, I mean, there's a lot of subtleties subtly. in humor you know like, one of the things that comes down to and I, i've always found buster keaton uh, more funny than um Charlie Chaplin, and here's the difference. I, I kind of boiled it down. Charlie Chaplin did things to people in the movies. He did things to other characters in, in the movie, whereas Buster Keaton had things happen to him. Yeah. Yes. And I, I think that's uh, that dovetails into something I wanted to ask you mm. about. Something I've always see. I've always Andy, Andy prepared me really well for this interview. He had me set up all the primer. <laughs> yeah, I know. Wow. They <laughs> feed each other pretty well. <laughs> they feed each other. They're actually feeding each other. <laughs> So I've, I've I've noticed you know in my younger days when I was jealous of other guys getting you know getting attractive women and everything I always noticed that one thing that was kind of a sure draw um, for for getting chicks to mm-hmm. put it put it in bluntly is if you do something on stage if you're if you're in a band oh, I mean yeah. you could be in a crappy you band. become infinitely hotter the second you yeah on stage. anything oh, yeah. on stage. The exception seems to be <laughs> stand-up comedy, with with the exception of like the rock star comedians. Like once you get to that level, like Eddie Murphy in yeah. the Raw days and stuff like that, um, or our uh, I can't remember his name, Dane Cook. Dane Cook, so, you know, who they develop this co- kind of uh, rock star comedian. Yeah. Same. But this is my theory. Tell me what you think about it. Tell me first. Uh, first off, I'll let you say if that's actually been your experience. Um, and then, uh, secondly, I'll tell you what my theory is, or I'll tell you what my theory is. I think it's unlike those other things where you have this persona, uh, that exudes, uh, magnetism and being in, in control mm-hmm. and, uh, dominating. Mm-hmm. Um, even though those, those things probably come into play in stand-up comedy, so much of comedy is being like, I'm going to peel back the facade. Oh yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the the autopsy yeah. on everyday life. It's pretty and gritty. Kind of show the, and that's just not that's not what gets the girls. <laughs> <That's> sexy. <laughs> it's so so. First off, tell me. I mean, Greg, when you agree, I, I think Drew's a good looking guy. Yes, I think yeah. And uh, as far as I can tell, as a male myself. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but yeah, I'm I'm very I'm curious to see what your your 
I think it's you know I think it could be a really mixed bag because there there are definitely some times where uh, yeah it really makes no difference. As a matter of fact, it really works against you, especially if as a comic you're really self deprecating. Yeah, and you, now you're going up on stage and talking about how out of shape you are and things like that. Yeah, there have been a couple of times though where you know I just kind of chatting. I've been like actually chatting with somebody in the audience beforehand. Like a cute girl, and, yeah. and then I'd go up on stage, and I come back off, and they're like, "Wow, you were funny!" Like, and yeah. I think that that actually sometimes yeah. it has worked. I've met, yeah. I have met some, I have met women doing stand-up. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. But uh, at the same time, I would say that that is by and large probably not the majority of what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I think some some comics love to go on the road and bang the wait staff, and that, yeah, <laughs> and they're happy with that. They're happy with that, <laughs> even though the club the club owners hate it. That oh, is man. usually the cardinal rule is don't sleep with the wait staff during the week. Uh, Do they get grumpy afterwards, or yeah? Or? Because then they, you know, then you leave and you go to another town, and then and they they're feel, all depressed. They're all depressed, and, and they feel oh. used. And, but, and that's well, what, what they expect. You're in I town stopped. for two days, right? <laughs> and that's why I stopped being a member of the wait staff because uh, I just couldn't deal with the emotional. Shame. But also, Robin Williams broke your heart. Absolutely, never cold. Really, Harry. Everywhere. Oh, hey, have you ever had that happen? Have you ever been set to go? And then the the star comic comes and knocks you out oh, of your bumps. slot. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's got to be even awful. even not even stars, just guys that have been going there for a while. I'll, yeah. I've gotten bumped by guys in Seattle who are who aren't by any means stars, but just yeah. they have you know <laughs> they wanted to do time, and I didn't know people well enough. Yeah. So. Yeah. Who you know, huh? And and to some extent, to we'll, definitely. And we'll talk about this without really naming any names. But um, have you ever run across? Um, I know with. Uh, some some big names. One that had a show on Comedy Central. There's been a lot of uh, swirling accusations of of thief. thief oh, right? I heard oh, a joke material, just the other night about material that. Material thief. Oh, well, let Greg tell a joke. Okay? I was like, you heard a joke about it? He said. Well, I, I heard about someone made a joke about that guy taking jokes. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> um, so uh, and that you know, I heard uh, Joe Rogan. Oh yeah. Who who was the the guy who pursued the guy who was who was stealing material. What's that? Oh, he just flat out Carlos Mencia. Oh, okay. Hey, man, if, if the podcast gets sued, Drew. I was about to say, <laughs> that's all on me. If we're, Carlos comes after me, then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, well, he was no, apparently notorious for, for yeah. doing that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I saw, uh, I watched some of um, um, Joe Rogan's podcast where he, mm-hmm. he really went after Carlos Mencia. And, you know, he made an excellent point. He said, this, this is... This is something that you you work really hard on, you, you craft, mm-hmm. and then to see a guy just slip in and and steal your material, oh, it's yeah. it's really a, a violation. And um, I don't know, have you have, have you have you had that experience? Yeah, I've actually I, I I got a call once from somebody that was like, "There's this uh, I just did a gig with a, a guy up north, and he did one of your jokes like word for word." I was pissed. I was really yeah. pissed about it. I mean, yeah. at the same time, it was. Was kind of flattering. Like, it was flattering. I was like, well, at least he took a good one. Um, but at the same time, I was, you know, I'd only been doing comedy for about three or four years. I didn't have a whole bunch of material. So right. at that point, you're kind of – they're like your children. And right. So you're kind of grabbing onto them as tight as you can. I remember uh, I had a realization one day that I knew that I was really into comedy. I was like, you know what? If I had a chance – if I had the choice between writing a really good five minutes today or finding $100 in the street, I'd rather take the five minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, a lot of and you know you're becoming well known and successful. It's 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 what they say. I mean, it's kind of cliche. It really is cliche, but following your passion. Oh yeah. I mean, you love doing it, mm-hmm. right? So that's how you end up doing good at something. 
which unfor- unfortunate for me, I never had a passion. So I was thinking about kind of like a non-standard career path like comedy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a passion you're following, but you have a day job, yes. right? So what I'm wondering is, because um, of things in my own life, how do you transition to... Or do you transition, or how does it work when you balance your real, uh, you know, day job mm. to your passion? Mm. And at some point, hopefully, the passion becomes the main. Yeah, and you definitely uh, have to pick. source. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> I think the only way I can, the only piece of advice I can give for transitioning is plan it. Uh, don't don't let it happen by surprise uh, because it definitely is. There's a bit of a drop off, but you definitely. I think that, like I've start when I first started. I, See, I, I first started getting paid to do comedy probably five years ago or so, five or six years ago, and just kind of going up and, you know, emceeing at certain shows and getting, you know, 50 bucks a night or something like that. And then it started kind of getting bigger and bigger and doing more traveling and getting paid money for that. So uh, cool. you just have to string enough of them together. Yeah, because Kermit, you know, I saw his show mm-hmm. just a couple of weeks ago and... He's making a living yeah. in comedy, so yeah. but at some point you transition into that. So that's just kind of interesting how that how that happens. But I guess, yeah, you know, there's the stories of people just give up everything and head to L.A. or Hollywood. And, oh yeah, but that's not the normal people way to living, do it. Yeah, people living very thinly. Uh, <laughs> Kermit uh, Kermit does also a lot of. He makes most of his money doing corporate shows and things like that. Uh, I mean, he pretty works year round, but he'll uh, cruise ships pay a ton. Yeah. Uh, have you been on it? No, 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 I haven't. I would like to. I'd really like to, but I hear it's also sort of a floating hell. A Could you imagine? Can you imagine if you got stuck on one of those ones? It's like the the floating diarrhea factory. Oh. <laughs> that happens once a year. <laughs> you imagine just with these really sick old people. Have some shrimp and dysentery. <laughs> oh God, that's gonna be awful. And more shrimp. Uh, yeah, actually, and I've also heard about comics that have you know those you have to work incredibly clean as well, and yeah. some comics that have not followed that and uh, actually been... Do they maroon them? <laughs> they'll drop them off at the next at the, oh. the next port. Yeah, the, wow. yeah there was one You're guy... You're flying home, buddy. Yeah, there's a, there's a guy who uh, had uh, some guy in a wheelchair uh, on one cruise ship. This had happened like weeks before, had committed suicide by like rolling himself off the ship. Oh. So oh. this comedian comes in there and they're like, you can talk about anything, but don't mention this suicide than <laughs> and he was uh so i guess he's up on stage for like five minutes he was like it's it's like to, to a certain to a comedian's brain that's gotta be <laughs> the just like, you tell him, don't like, think of don't pink think elephants oh, <laughs> so apparently he said uh he'd been up on stage for like five minutes he was like if you guys don't start laughing i'm just gonna roll myself off this ship oh. and, <laughs> and apparently like he was they they like cut the power to the show. They escorted him back to his room, and then uh, and then he was like airlifted off. Like, <laughs> like they were just not messing around. Like get this guy off a ship. Man. You are banned from Carnival Cruise. Absolutely, which is a huge thing. Does yeah, the Mormon man. Church own all these cruise lines or something? <laughs> Plus, you need to be able to do two different squeaky clean forty minute shows in a lot of places. Yeah. I, wow, yeah. It's a ton of material. So that's why usually a lot of comics that do it have been doing it for a long time because they have so much material. And, yeah. then they write and it's good money, you say. It is good money. Yeah. It's just dry and you're, it's just dry and you're living on, on a, a cruise boat, ship for yeah. about a week or two at a time. So um, <laughs> so that that leads me to 
talk about some exciting developments in Drew's career. Yeah, very exciting. Um, and, I, I, you know, it's funny. We will get to them. But I talked to Drew shortly after some of this stuff we're about to talk about uh, started happening. And you almost had, like, a shell-shocked yeah. kind of quality to you. Like, like, <laughs> like, 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 literally, like, I'm like, his mind is blown. <laughs> I'm like, I'm seeing someone whose mind is literally blown. So I'm just going to – I'm going to turn it over to you and, uh, what, uh, yeah, just tell us how it happened. Uh, and tell was, us what happened. And how yeah, happened. I don't know the story. So yeah, this yeah. – I mean, oh. I, kind of, I know bits and pieces, but yeah. it'll be interesting to hear the whole – Whole deal. Uh, back in November was the second time that I did the Seattle International Comedy Competition. I'd done it two years before. You can only do it once every two years. Right. And uh, is that sponsored by anybody? Uh, or it's got to be sponsored no, by somebody. There's, there's a guy who lives down in uh, in LA that he does, he kind of hosts both of them. There's okay. a San Francisco one, a Seattle one. I think Pagliacci's used to sponsor, but we used to, ah, get, free, we used to get free pizza. And then this year, <laughs> my right. sister and brother-in-law work at Pagliacci, so <laughs> oh, that, that's a good plug. It is a good. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Uh, I love. I, <laughs> hey, do we get some money I from Pagliacci? Pagliacci pizza. <laughs> it is a high quality. Andy, you're a good customer. Of Pagliacci. <laughs> yes, I am. It is I delicious. expect some free pizzas absolutely. now. Okay, <laughs> we'll put a Pagliacci ad on the Rain City Bunker <laughs> right website. Right uh, so I, I went and did this competition, and I was I felt much better about it this year, and uh, I ended up. Uh, making it to the finals. Started out with 32 comics, and I finished fourth overall, which was pretty excellent. It was four weeks of shows. I think I did something like uh, 22 shows in 30 days or something like that. Something... Something crazy. It was a lot of fun, but let me just a, a quick aside too. Mm-hmm. Were the finals during that snowstorm that yes. we had in November? Yeah, we, we, yeah, we had we had one show canceled at the oh, uh, it was at the Washington Athletic Club, and that yeah. one got canceled because the snow was the, yeah. slip and slide pretty yeah. much. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Go pretty ahead. terrifying. Uh, no, uh, so the first night, the first night of the prelims, when uh, you're only doing five minutes, I went up and I had a good set. I think I ended up getting sixth for that night. Uh, I was pretty happy with it. And then as I was leaving, I ran into a couple of guys by the entrance and one guy, and they were like, we just, uh, we're up from LA and we just want to say that we, we really liked your show. And this was, uh, they do one night for each round of industry night where they invite out people from LA who are affiliated with various things. So, uh, they're like, we really liked your show and, um, you're clean and, you know, very sharp stuff. So, uh, we just want to find out a little bit more about you. And at this point, I don't know who these guys are. I'm like, yeah, sure. But they said LA, so I'm going to talk to them. Uh, and then one guy was like, all right, well, I work for MTV. And the other guy, uh, was an agent in LA. So he said, uh, you know, let's stay in touch. So kind of throughout the competition, I kept emailing him and this one agent and he said, you know, I'd like for you to meet some people come down to LA sometime in December or January. So I finished up the competition. Was there ever a time where you were just like, this guy's shining me out. There's no, yeah. Oh no, absolutely. <laughs> like you were, like were going to go down to LA and it was going to be like a trailer. Like, it's like a, guy, a guy in his van. <laughs> 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 it's, it's like I represent all of these people. This guy was an extra on Coach for several years. And, uh, like no, but and I did some research, and yeah, and he was pretty reputable. It rep, repped a lot of really good comedians that I knew and trusted. So uh, he said, "Why don't you come down in December or for like four days or so?" I said, "Sure." And uh, I was there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and he set up uh, fourteen meetings for me in four wow. days. Wow! With um, uh, the Game Show Network, 
uh, <laughs> which I was that was my first week. I was like, what is the Game Show Network? The oh. Game Show Network is uh, I think it's like channel one sixty four. They show just hunting shows. It's kind of misleading. It's, yeah, it's really bizarre. It's all Scandinavian cooking. Uh, <laughs> it's bizarre. It's uh, big in Seattle and Duluth. In Duluth, very large. So, uh, but no, it's the Game Show Network, NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox, Comedy Central, VH1, MTV. Uh, the Discovery Channel, DreamWorks. Uh, so they just spread the word about you. He, he was it was incredible. I was blown away. Uh, what all that he managed to. So how did the made. first place winner get treated? Uh, he didn't get that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, you yeah, know it doesn't it, matter, does it? It's, yeah. it's funny that a, a friend of mine noticed uh, our buddy Ron. Um, Noticed. I think we were talking about. Uh, I'm sorry to keep interrupting your story. Oh no, it's okay. We were talking because about because we're so much more interesting than <laughs> we're all learning. Shut up, Greg. I'm talking. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, we were talking about Project Greenlight. Oh yeah, and uh, we were discussing like I forget even what year it was. Uh, Project Greenlight, for those who don't know, is was something that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck set up. Uh, Showtime or HBO? I think it was HBO. It was you HBO, produce right? your own little shorts. Well, they had a competition. It was basically a filmmaking competition, and whoever won got their Funny. their movie financed, and they spent on like I think a million dollars, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not when yeah. you're doing your movie the official Hollywood way. Mm-hmm. But one of the things we noticed is like the people that won didn't necessarily do so well, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. The, but the people who placed, they they started getting jobs. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes it's better to place in some of these yeah, competitions. That's yeah. what happens with American Idol. Yeah, now, yeah, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, the guy who finished first, though, he had been doing comedy for about 20-some-odd years. Yeah. He's actually already been on Comedy Central on like, Live at Gotham and stuff oh, like that. Okay. Very funny guy, but yeah. he's already pretty established. But just yeah. for me to kind of get my foot in the door. Oh, that's great. Uh, and just going to some of these really high-powered meetings and places where I'm trying not to freak out as I'm walking around. Are, are they like interviews or what is it like? Yeah, I would go in and I'd sit down with people and he called them uh, couch and water meetings where you sit on a couch, they offer you a bottle of water and then they talk to you for about 15 minutes. And there was a lot of stuff kind of like this where they would just be like, how should you get started? You know, why did you want to get into it? Um, when are you moving here? That was the question. <laughs> when are you moving When are you moving? Where are you moving? So I just started well, saying, well, I'm Drew, moving. we want to offer you the <laughs> third position on Rain City Bunker as a host. <laughs> All right. uh, we'll hope you consider it. Fantastic. <laughs> With all your other offers. I can, I, well, I don't have to move. <laughs> so um, I thought, Andy, didn't you mention something about New York? Did you end up in New uh, yeah, York? Yeah, did you go to New York? I didn't know. Oh, no, okay, I got no, that right. But, Sorry. But one of the one or more of the op- potential connections could bring you to New York? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Comedy Central does a lot of their filming in New York, yeah. so. I'd love to get it. So where do you stand? What's 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 brewing? Uh, after I had so I got really good feedback about everything. People liked. Me. I actually had an audition for a pilot for NBC while I was down there, uh, which was pretty nerve wracking. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, and I keep sending stuff down there. And so my next thing, I leave. Uh, I actually just found out I'm going back down there in two weeks, and I'm doing a showcase for MTV, uh, going up and performing at the uh, uh, the. Laugh Factory in cool. Hollywood. And then the next night I got a show at the Improv. So I get to go up and go. I've heard of the Improv. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that what I, I'm excited about that because I think people from Comedy Central are going to come out and see that one. So, wow. Well, great. Cool. Well, yeah. So we wish you the best. Drew. Thank you so much. Because you could elevate Rain City Bunker to <laughs> stardom. I will be, our selfish oh, I'll, be, I'll be heavily plugged. <laughs> <laughs> so can you, can you talk about some of the some of the stuff? Well, you said a pilot for NBC. Yeah. Uh, um, a lot of them, yeah, 
I think I was initially sort of pulled down there to really kind of go into hosting. Uh, yeah. I really I love doing that. I actually hosted a, a clip show on my buddy's website for a long time. It was actually the guy who hired me a while back who made this started this website mm-hmm. and a, excuse me started a company that made uh, hand like little helmet cameras for action sports and things like that. <laughs> uh, it's called a V holder now. It's called Contour.com. And people would make all these cool videos of mountain biking and all kinds of stuff. Oh, and then yeah. send Skiing, them in. mountain biking, Skiing, mountain extreme biking, sports. Extreme sports, things like that. They'd send in their clips, post them online, and then I would host a clip show. Oh, cool. Uh, it's like the top five snowboarding videos and things oh. like that. There's like 30. Was, was it uh, just straight narration or did you yeah. throw in a little of your uh, oh, no, natural I, comedy? In yeah, there? I wrote the scripts and my buddy Nate filmed them and we, we just kind of started out just very kind of guerrilla filmmaking at first. And then we kind of started to learn what we were doing and it, I kind of managed to put together a pretty nice fun little reel for it. So, oh, cool. Uh, there are about cool. 30 videos or so of now. Uh, and now I is that is that website still up? Yeah, contour.com. Okay. And we'll uh, take a look. Yeah, it's the top in the the series was called Top 5. Yeah. So, it goes all the way back to like 2008 or so. All the way back to 08. All the way back to 08. <laughs> what, what, what are you drawn more towards? Are you drawn more towards doing like a uh, sitcom or doing like host? It sounds like you kind of really like the. the I do. I hosting. do like hosting. I, yeah. It's a lot of fun, and I, I like meeting people. And I, I think I'm pretty quick on my feet. And yeah. I, I I'll do just about anything. Go just about anywhere. Um, uh, so you would host Survivor. <laughs> It's funny. The guy who hosts Survivor actually went to my high school, Jeff Probst. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, he went oh, to, he New, went to Newport, Newport High School. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but I, <laughs> David Horsey went to my high school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know who he is? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> He's a political cartoonist, yes. isn't he? Yeah. And he knows oh. everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> uh, was it uh, uh, the famous person from my uh, high school is Jennifer Weiner, who wrote uh, oh. In Her Shoes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She was a year behind me oh, in high school, yeah. Um, we all have famous alumni. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That's a very important fact to establish. It is. I, but I would really like to do hosting. Hosting is yeah. a lot of fun, but I do miss acting, and that's actually how I got started. I was an actor, and I was a theater major in college. Yeah. So. Oh, I was going to ask you. You started uh, your stand-up stuff in high school, but you continued, and you were doing through an acting class, but yeah. you continued acting through uh you dub through college. Or, yeah, or, I was a theater. Ma- I was a theater major. Um, took all the all the courses and stuff like that. I directed a play yeah. and acted in a couple. Who's that local guy? Joel Mc. Uh, uh, Joel, Joel McHale. McHale. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he went real success story. Yeah, yeah he went yeah. to UW. He was uh, he was in theater sports down in uh, down in Post Alley next to Pike Place Market. In the last couple of years of uh, Almost Live, Almost he Live. was part of the cast. Yeah, he was just now a, he's doing really well. He was just like an intern, pretty much working there, and they put him on there. And then when he went down to LA, I was talking to this this agent. And he said that Joel McHale just kind of wandered around for a while, picking up stuff, and then the he was in uh, a lot of commercials. Yeah, he was. Oh, really? All of a yeah. sudden, yeah, it was funny. Like all of a sudden, I recognized him from almost live, and then you just started seeing him in like Burger King commercials oh, yeah. and stuff. Um, and those pay, yeah, incredibly well. Yeah, if you really? get a commercials. If you get a speaking spot on a national commercial, that's about sixty grand right there. <laughs> I'm moving to LA. <laughs> I, know. I know. There are a lot of guys down in LA that have just pure commercial agents. Yeah. Uh, so that'd be fun. I'd love to do that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Joel McHale was looking around, and that, that job hosting the soup was pretty wide open until he picked it up and ran with yeah, it. Yeah, so. cool. But now I send stuff down to L.A. I actually just recorded uh, a voiceover kind of demo for uh, an animated series on Fox that I'm going to try and get on that Jonah Hill is actually doing one of the voices for. All right. So, Great. I've how got all these weird little opportunities coming. How about right, any, well, yeah. any movie stuff? What's that? Any movie stuff? Uh, what... Uh, mm, uh, well, I had a meeting with DreamWorks, and uh, and 
one with Fox and things like that. Yeah. So I'd like to get into it. Maybe he could be my stunt double in our little uh, short. You know, um, I, I, I have kind of a funny story. Just to, like running into famous people, might as well tell it right now. Um, you know, I'm always kind of thinking of like who of my friends, who do I know, mm-hmm. um, would I cast or something like that. And Andy's an amateur. And, filmmaker and, and when, at one time I was at the uh, Hollywood video with my friend Mary and um, she uh, I'll, I'll just make this kind of kind of long story short uh, she runs into somebody she knows mm-hmm. and she's talking to him and she went to Bastyr so I, she was constantly running into uh, Bastyr's a local uh, naturopathic medicine mm-hmm. school out here and so she was constantly running into her classmates there and I just I see this guy and he's this pretty good looking guy tall um and she's talking to him, and uh, and I, I'm like, oh, that must be somebody she goes to school with. And, you know, uh, so since she was talking to her friend, I got the movies that we were going to get. And then I came over, like you do when your friend is talking yeah. to somebody, and just you kind of wait yeah. to be introduced mm-hmm. and everything. And the whole time I'm waiting, I'm thinking, like, man, this guy would be – I wonder if this guy would be interested in doing, like, a little movie, mm-hmm. you know, maybe doing a little role. He's, he's got a good look and everything. And then she's like um, – she goes, oh – uh, David, this is my friend Andy. And as I'm shaking his hand, I realize it's Dave Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has a place of honor for you. Yeah, he does. And, but then I, I still thought, like, how funny would that be to just make this, like, goofy hobby film with your friends? And you're like, hey, it's starring Dave Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, but anyways. Uh, so... Oh wow! So that cool. that's just awesome. And yeah. I, I think uh, thank you. You're you're a nice guy. It is also cool to meet somebody who's nice. You know that like this jerky like how you'd imagine like kind arrogant of arrogant ass. Oh, yeah. really pompous. Just yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I got some I got some irons in the fire right now. Really. <laughs> I, I, and I was going to say how remarkably well adjusted you seem for a comedian. Yeah. You know. Oh, is, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's just what you hear about comedians. They're all messed up, right? Dark, fucked up. Well, <laughs> it is the stereotype that that you know comedians have. Uh, screwed up backgrounds and I mean it plays out with a lot of Richard Pryor yeah. and you know I mean you could just go down the but list but you went to Newport High School so it couldn't have been that bad oh right yeah I probably wasn't yeah. <laughs> but, at all. but what's your I mean do you want to take on that stereotype or, or confirm sure. it no I th- well you know it's, it's true but I, th- I think every because going up and telling jokes and trying to be as happy and fun as possible really kind of it, it is one direction i feel like all comedians are a little bipolar at yeah. one point or another and yeah i have an incredibly there's an incredibly dark side or just kind of there's a time where i i really love to be just kind of extrovert and just be around people and chatting and, but i really enjoy my you know my solitude as yeah. well so it's a it's a, it's definitely a balance and there are some times where you just don't feel like being funny yeah you just don't want to go up and do a yeah. gig but did you know? Uh, I, I always have to reference films, but um, I think kind of an underrated film was that movie Funny People. Oh yeah, yeah. and I thought it <laughs> that was really more of a drama. Yeah, than, than I think they it sold was that comedy. wrong in the trailers. What's they they sold that wrong. They really did. They tried to present it as a kind of wacky Adam Sandler yeah. comedy with it's dark. Uh, uh, kind of a Seth Rogen, and, mm-hmm. and and it's about comedians, and it does definitely have some really funny stuff in it. But it's but, dark. Um, yeah, and you, you, yeah, it's kind of dark, and you get to see the Adam Sandler character. Uh, there's a moment right in the beginning where he gets a diagnosis of uh, terminal illness, and uh, all of a sudden he has to leave the doctor's office, and there's all these people who are like, "Hey, what's his name? George something?" Right? Oh and, yeah, yeah. Hey, you're that guy, and you're you know, that funny guy. Be funny. Yeah, be funny. <laughs> yeah, and then he has to take pictures with everybody, and yeah, so 
yeah, that I, I think that would be a real uh, burden if you got to that level. Yeah. So where you just kind so of yeah, I mean, you obviously wish you most success and everything, but it can be a double edged sword. Evidently, yeah. when you get yeah. if if something big happens, you know. You might lose your privacy. You're walking down the street and <laughs> people are bugging you. Man, I'm just going to 7-Eleven, man. Just leave me alone. It's, it, to be honest, it's it's weird because there have been a couple of times where I've been like at a restaurant or something and uh, like a waiter has been like, excuse me, do do I know you? Are you are you a comedian? Like, have I seen you? And like at this point, it's still like, well, yes, I am. Actually. <laughs> is there somebody you'd like me to take a picture with or things like that? <laughs> and, and it is still really cool sometimes if I go to the middle of nowhere or I go and perform at a college or something like that and you get a little taste of that like we just I, I love doing colleges it's my yeah. favorite thing in the world going up and doing like 45 minutes and then people come down and they're just they're just so jazzed about it. The college yeah. audiences are fantastic. They're not jaded like us older folks. <laughs> no, it's it's a free show. They're just showing up and they're just going to go have fun uh-huh. and uh yeah, afterwards you do get to feel like a little bit of a rock star. Yeah. Um, so getting a taste of that. No, it's funny. Here's a, here's a tiny tiny snippet of fame. I was on Como News about two years ago for nine seconds. Mm-hmm. People, friends of friends, were saying, "Is that friend of yours the guy who was on TV?" <laughs> I'm thinking I was on TV for nine seconds. <laughs> Imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you get your face on the television or big screen so it's, yeah it's pre- it's better watch out it's pretty- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's cool because i think comedians like you can be huge like brian regan uh who i'm gonna go see this week is humongous you know sells out 2500 seat theaters and no problem but he's still he's still kind of within a certain comedy circle that not the general public really knows who he is so right. he can still go to a lot of places and not mm-hmm. be recognized but kermit was telling me that uh he went he was with Regan because he goes to Regan's opener a lot. And so they went to like a Popeye's chicken somewhere in Texas. And so the counter guy was acting kind of weird the whole time. And he says, uh, he's, he kind of disappears. And then finally the manager comes in and goes, excuse me, the, the guy who works at the counter is incredibly shy, but you're his favorite comedian. Would you be able to take a picture with him? And he's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And Regan's the nicest guy in the world. But unless you're in that kind of comedy circle, most people aren't going to recognize yeah. you. So. Until you make it. So all right, now we're going to do a complete shift. Sweet. Oh, I yeah. forgot about the shift. So um, <laughs> sticking with our, our the weird subject matter that we we often cover on our show. Um, uh, let's see. How do I? I'll just set you up for this, and Drew, you can talk about it. Um, Drew works at ACT Theater, which stands for a Contemporary Theater. Mm-hmm. It's in downtown Seattle. What's the uh, – it's James and uh, – It's the corner of 7th and Union. 7th and Union. Yeah, okay. it's right next to the convention center. Right next to the convention. It's kind of part of it almost. Yeah, actually. it's off yeah. the same main building. Now, the building is really old. Um, Very old. Uh, do you, do you know some of the history. How old is that building? Uh, early 1900s. Early 1900s. Um, okay. Yeah, and it was uh, it was originally the headquarters for the Federal Order of the Eagles. Okay. Uh, kind of that – Fraternal society, and there's still some remnants left behind. There's a, there's a big vault downstairs where they used to store all their stuff, and it's cool. Yeah, it's 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 a funky building, and yeah, yeah, it's got a lot of weird, uh, interesting kind of ar- architectural features to it. And there's uh, how many theater, how many active theaters are in the there? Are three, building? there are three theaters in there right now. They're building a fourth. Well. Building a fourth, and there's one that actually was a. It's the cabaret theater that was a speakeasy, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, yeah. now. In the 20s. In the 20s. Mm-hmm. And now the reason I'm talking about this is um, apparently there's some indication that uh, ACT Theater, that building, is haunted. Yes. And people have had uh, 
experiences there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Drew, you're one of them, right? You've had yeah. some, some kind of interesting stuff yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I'm just going to let uh, Drew take it away and tell his story and maybe some other ones that you, you heard. Sure. Uh, I, I, well, I, I love stuff like Ghost Hunters and things like that. I'm always a big sucker for anything paranormal and things like that. But I'd never really been anywhere where, you know, it was people had talked about there being ghosts anywhere. So when I first started working there, I talked to somebody who mentioned something about, like, well, you know, if you can, if you can stomach being there alone, and some people freak out because of the ghosts and stuff like that, and I got really into it. And, uh, yeah, there are definitely some parts of the building where people claim that they've heard uh, a lot of weird banging and, you know, seen some really strange shapes and shadows and things like that. Uh, That cabaret theater down there is notorious for stuff like that. Apparently there was a a poetry reading that was going on one time, and it was going way over. And the stage manager and Alyssa, who runs kind of the central heating lab thing, was turning It's like, God, when are these guys going to be done? All of a sudden all the house lights came up. And... It was like, oh, well, that worked out nicely, but <laughs> who the hell did that? And it was one of those things where it's not like a, a switch somebody could have flipped. It's something on the board that you have to, like, turn up. Uh, was someone manning the board? No. The yeah? Lights just came up on their own. Uh, people will see a lot of shadows out of the corner of their eye. There's a, a part down there that's for storage, kind of like for old stuff left over from shows. I will not be in there alone. <laughs> it is way too... It is just the epitome of the hairs on the back of your neck going yeah. up. Um, the, the only real creepy thing that's personally happened to me, I was uh, unloading a whole bunch of uh, programs, kind of going up and down from an elevator. I got off the elevator on the third floor, and when you get off the elevator, you can either take a left and head around to get to the offices, or you can take a right and go back uh, through a door back by all the green rooms that are behind the Allen Theater. That's the one in the round. So I walk off the elevator and turn to the left, start walking, and I hear somebody crying. Like, it sounded like a woman kind of sobbing. Yeah. And I was like, dude, that sounds pretty messed up. So, yeah. And it was definitely coming from back by the green room. So I opened up the door and went back there and, like, checked all of the dressing rooms, and there's nobody there. Whoa. That was <laughs> creepy. That yeah. terrified me. And then later on that day, that's when I heard this super scary story that a lot of people... I, I was talking about I was instantly fascinated and I wanted to know more and someone said if you want to hear the really good ghost story you have to go talk to Nicole um, so uh, okay I'll, I'll tell the yeah, story yeah just go ahead and tell okay uh, it's this one they're like she has a story that will that will maybe scare the crap out of you, and, you <laughs> and I was like okay so I went and found her like just as she was leaving and I told her that I was really interested in all the ghost history and I heard that she had an excellent story and she was like okay well let's sit down for a second she said alright well, first of all uh, I was working here late one night and uh, with a couple of people. It was actually it actually wasn't too late. It was around eight o'clock. It was like around showtime or so. And uh, before the show started, she was standing down, kind of in an area where there was kind of like a gift shop. And then uh, on the fl- it's right next to an elevator. And then she heard the elevator open the floor above, and it sounded like recess let out, like just tons of kids just running along. And just like, what that little kid sound, yeah, just, yeah, and just like you know, just, just yeah. where you can hear the footprints, the footsteps of people running along. She's like, "That's weird. There shouldn't be anybody in here." So her and another guy raced up both sides of the ramp and came around, and there was nobody up there. And there's no way just a flock of kids could just disappear yeah. like that. So now, it now sounds like the, there might have been a school there. Well, actually, you know, do you know some of the history of this? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I heard why that it that was. I, now, see, I, I don't want to get this wrong, but. And I can't remember where I heard this. There was a, a woman that I work with who has a ghost hunting group. That, mm-hmm. And I, she did some research on the building. And I think I might have heard it from her, but I'm not positive. 
that it might have been a temporary orphanage when another Ooh. orphanage in town had a fire. Ooh. Wow! Um, and it's right downtown, so yeah. it goes way back down yeah. there. And this would have been a long. This would have been yeah. a long time ago. Eighteen hundreds. And probably. now, um, I think also was it so we, we mentioned the speakeasy and the cabaret, right? Mm-hmm. And I also heard that there was a that it might have been a brothel for a while. Ooh, I don't like, know about that. I know there's yeah. a, there's a big gymnasium. There used to be a shooting range there as well. There's yeah. it, uh, the way that they managed to. Yeah. Re- Retrofit the building and turn it to different things. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, but there are some old photos of it. Oh, and it has a kind of a, 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 a rock and roll pedigree too. They used to have rock shows there, like a yeah. Led Zeppelin played there and the Doors played there mm-hmm. in really small areas. Yeah, the yeah. Uh, well, that where the main theater is, the, the the theater that's in the round has actually all been dug down to make kind of the lower bowl area. But there's a huge stage back there, and that's where oh, I think okay, Martin Luther sense. King spoke on that stage. Oh, so. oh wow. wow. Okay. So now there are a lot of people that debunk stuff that goes on there. The house manager, excuse me, our operations manager in particular, likes to debunk everything. Yeah. He's, a, he's very pessimistic about it. He's like, no, he's. I can explain everything because we also do share that building with about three floors of apartments. So right. sometimes, you know, maybe the sound kind of goes through. But the story that Nicole told me that absolutely sent shivers. I've never heard a story like this. And it's one of those ones where I was like, I, even if she, I can't imagine anybody making this up. But this is what she said happened. She used to work really late there on the second floor in the little kind of administrative offices. And uh, before, like, the last person to leave would always stop and duck their head in and say, uh, I'm leaving. Do you want me to turn off the lights on the ramp? And she'd say yes or no. And so uh, she was going to leave one day, and she noticed it was really dark out, and somebody had turned all the lights off without kind of really consulting with her. And she's like, I thought that's weird. So she's putting on her coat. She's getting near the door, gathering her things and stuff. And she, and she notices immediately. She's like, it's really cold. Like, it's mm. just as soon as she gets kind of near the door. So she walks out. And right out the door of these administrative offices on the second floor, there's kind of a landing in between these ramps that go up to the third floor. So on the second floor, there's just kind of a landing, kind of a f- open foyer sort of space. And she looks out there, and she sees a woman standing there. Uh, and she was like, that, it's just, she just stopped because she knew something was, was it was something not right. She said, it was a short woman, kind of stocky, kind of with a bit of a sunken chest. And she looks at this woman, and... Yeah, I'm, I'm getting old. <laughs> and, I, and I swear to God, she's like, I looked at this woman, and she had no eyes. There was just black space Whoa. where her eyes should be. She's like, at this point, I'm frozen. And oh. the woman walks toward her, reaches out with her hand, and opens her mouth to say something, and nothing comes out. Wow. <laughs> that is a creepy story. Yeah. And so I was like, so I said, what did you do? And she's like, I just said, I'm sorry. And just sorry I couldn't help you. And just runs. She runs back into the office, turns on all the lights, locks the door, calls her husband, tells her she needs to, he needs so, to come pick so her up. So this Nicole yeah. person. <laughs> I know. I know. That's, that's you a, know her and she seems straight up. It's one of those things. I met her. She's, yeah, she's straight up. Very yeah. sweet. Wow. Just, you know, yeah. wouldn't harm a fly. And. You know, there's some people you meet and you're like, yeah, yeah. she's not He's one of car them. Not, no, no, not yeah. that kind of person. And I yeah. just, and to this day, I said to Adam, I was like, I, you can explain a lot of things. That is about the that. creepiest uh, ghost story I've heard. Yeah. Like, yeah, right. That's that's. I've never heard. That's amazing. Like I never heard a ghost approaching you. Yeah, yeah. that's a little With out no there. Eyes. Yeah, yeah. 
well, can't speak. And I know, I know, you know, before, you know, all the exciting stuff with your career uh, started happening, you were, you were thinking of kind of putting together, collecting all these stories. Yeah, and, I wanted to round up a bunch of, like, everyone's experience. Yeah. yeah well, cool. we'll, you know, maybe we'll take up, uh, that's something I've kind of wanted to do, and uh, maybe we'll take up the... You know, we'll take up the baton. That would be sweet. Yeah. Now, that was the thing is that I actually sent around an email because I was so pumped about it. I was like, yeah. tell me your ghost stories. And that's where this guy, Adam, came in. He was like, be careful. I don't want people getting nervous and not wanting to come to work. <laughs> he's like, I, he's like well, I'm worried about that. I'm also worried about people not leaving the lights on at night or, yeah. leaving, or turn, not turning the lights off at night when yeah. they leave because yeah. they're too scared. Yeah. or not locking a door behind them. Yeah. And that's where he gets yeah. nervous. Yeah, so, yeah I, can, I can understand. I can understand that, that as well. But you know what? Haunted places. It's awesome. It can attract me. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I, I told you, I think I mentioned on the podcast the story in my house here. Mm. It was one very small little thing, but it kind of freaked me Just out a little bit. Uh, at the time, I have an apartment on the third floor here, mm-hmm. top floor. And at the time, no one was, was living up there. And I'd been on vacation, came home, and I was unpacking or something. And uh, the light switch in there is really old from mm-hmm. the 40s. Mm-hmm. It makes a clunk sound. Oh, like so, a snap. Yeah, kind of a. Yeah, I can show you on the way out. And so I'm unpacking or something. And I hear this clunk, 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 like someone was messing with the lights. Mm-hmm. Which I, I and I thought, oh crap, someone's in the house. Someone's, I might be being robbed or something. So wow. I grabbed a baseball bat or something mm-hmm. and opened the door slowly and turned on the light. And no one was in there. And walked upstairs with my baseball bat, looked around, and that's all it was. I heard the noise, clunk, 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 clunk. But, but it was a very distinct sound of that light. Yes, going of that on. switch. Oh. And there, as far as I know, there was no one in the house. Ooh. And nothing before or since has ever happened in this house. So, just a very isolated so. So I'll end it. One of the stories that um, uh, that Jackie Jackie's my girlfriend, and she's Drew's. She's boss. our connection to Drew. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, uh, she coerced him to come speak with us tonight. It's, it's all under duress. Then. Something about my paycheck. And, <laughs> and uh, but one of the this wasn't a story that she experienced. But I'll and I'll just finish up the the act. But because uh, it also kind of strikes me as funny in a kind of morbid way. Uh, apparently, one of the um, one of the experiences that somebody at ACT had is they heard somebody just retching horribly oh, in oh, a bathroom. Oh, I, yeah, I, I've heard that. Yeah, I heard that story. And yeah, it was a speakeasy, right? right? <laughs> was, you're right. That, yeah, that was the story that actually Adam, the the operations guy who tries to debunk everything, yeah. he's that's the the experience he's had where he can't explain it. Yeah, and apparently, no one in there. Right. And and my thought is is like. Ew. If, if ghosts, <laughs> ghost vomit. If ghosts are, if ghosts are, are these spirits trapped in repeating actions from their former life? Uh, How'd you like to spend eternity wretching in a bathroom? Uh, yeah. After just, twenty whiskey and yeah. sours, yeah. just die right in the middle of having diarrhea. And you have to live it over and over every night until your soul. Is Man. So yeah, I think we should wrap it up. Yeah, that's boy, we had great. a great time. Yeah. Hey, this was fantastic. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, here. thank you for coming. This is uh, yeah, this worked yeah, out really first, well. Yeah, uh, first live in studio in the bunker. <laughs> nice. I like it. Well, the bunker is aptly named. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is a whole. So whole and it's it's also a state of mind. <laughs> yeah, I have a certain feeling now. <laughs> so our thanks to uh, Drew Barth. And everybody, keep an eye out because you'll you'll be seeing and hearing more from him. You never know. And uh, once again, thanks and adios from Andy and adios from Greg. And we will try not to wait uh, eight months before the next <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we'll, we'll get one out there sooner. See ya.